Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. I'm really excited about our second segment as I'll be talking with Zaragoza Guerra, longtime College Coach colleague and former admission officer at MIT and Caltech. And uh, I'll be talking to him about computer science programs. So, you know, with that background, he knows he knows a lot. Um, and I, I think this is a really important topic because I've realized in talking to students at families that sort of we all think we know what a computer science major is, but there's actually a variety of ways to study working with computers. Um, and even I wasn't aware until I started this job about the sheer sort of variety that was out there and all the differences. So, you know, listen in because Zaragoza is going to enlighten us. And just so you know, even if you do think you understand understand this topic, I'd really suggest you listen in because um, really many, many students think they know exactly what the differences are, but yet they're missing some pretty crucial information um, that could be impacting their choice of major. Um, for our third segment, Sarah Calvert Kubram, college coach colleague and former admission officer at Lewis and Clark and I will be talking about questions to ask on campus tours. I realize, by the way, that it may seem like we're ignoring the reality of the coronavirus when a lot of campuses are shutting down um, and not doing tours, but some campuses are still doing tours. Sometimes they're making modifications where they're just outside. And so, um, we also realize that most people listen to this show, you know, maybe the same week, but maybe two, three, four weeks later, maybe a couple months later. So we think that this information is still going to be useful to you. Um, but first, speaking of tours, I'll be talking with Lori Peltier, college coach finance consultant. And so she also will be telling me about financial questions that you can ask on your college tour when you're when you're able to go. <laughs> so welcome, Lori. Hi, Sally. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. And again, maybe students aren't going to be able to do this right away, but even if students are listening, you know, this might even be useful during the summer, for example. So, um, so I mean, are there specific questions about finances to ask the financial aid office while you're on a school visit? There definitely are. And I think, you know, most people think the financial aid office is the go-to place to ask financial questions. Uh, so I would start there. The first question being, what applications do you require and what are your deadline dates? You definitely don't want to miss any applications or deadline dates and not every school is the same. You want to start to get a feel for the schools that you're interested in and what they require. Another question would be, what if I don't graduate in four years? Do you cover financial aid for the fifth year? And what about a laptop or study abroad? Are those expenses covered by the financial aid offer if you're getting financial aid? And then um, for a lot of families, it's what about the future? You're giving me a financial aid offer for freshman year, but what if things change in the future? If I have another child enrolled or our income goes down, how does the financial aid office adjust to their financial aid packages on a year-to-year basis? And the same thing with tuition increases. We all know that college keeps getting more and more expensive. So what kind of increases have the colleges, that specific college had and uh, do they get covered with additional financial aid as the cost goes up? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, and actually those are questions you can definitely ask an admission officer. I mean, when I, w- I worked in admissions, not in financial aid, but I could have answered a lot of those questions. So, um, and speaking of, what are some questions to ask specifically to the admission office? Well, I think the admissions office, you know, being in charge of merit scholarships typically is where you would go for any scholarship questions uh, based on academic merit. So what's available? What are the requirements? You know, last year's profile of a typical scholarship applicant, what was their grade point average or SAT or ACT scores so that you can see if your student is in, in the same range as being eligible for those scholarships. Uh, also, how do you get them? Do you have to fill out a separate scholarship application or an extra essay or apply early? Or is it automatic that you're being put in the pool for scholarships when you send in your admissions application? And then what about renewing those uh, scholarships? Is it renewable for all four years? Uh, what's the grade point average you have to maintain to keep that scholarship? So those are some of the big ones around scholarships. And the other thing I see questions about is uh, is the school need blind? Will the admissions office be looking at the family's financial need when making uh, admissions decisions? So that's a big topic to cover. Mm-hmm. That's a huge topic. And I actually find that a lot of people assume that um, no college is need blind. But I can assure people, when I worked at University of Chicago, we we knew we could cover financial anybody's financial need. So we truly did not worry about it. And I think that um, I've learned from you and your colleagues that actually most colleges are need blind. I mean, Whittier College on the other end of the spectrum from the University of Chicago, we were need blind as well. We didn't give as good aid packages, but we were need blind in terms of who got in. Right, right. Most colleges are. Um, they, Like you said, they might not give your full financial need. You might not get as much money as you need, but it's not going to impact your acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and when it comes to schools that are quite wealthy with big endowments, like the University of Chicago, I think it's hard for those of us mortals who don't control millions of dollars, or maybe even billions in the case of places like Harvard, to realize how relatively insignificant $70,000 a year might be. Uh, But for these colleges, it's really not a huge burden to them. Um, All right, so are there other departments on campus um, that can answer a family's financial questions? I think there are, depending on your specific situation. So the Residence Life Office or, you know, student housing, you know, does the school guarantee housing for all four years? Does it guarantee housing for freshman year? Can they get their housing deposit refunded if they're depositing early to hold a spot in the dormitory? And then what off-campus options are available and what's the cost comparison of living off-campus versus on-campus? So those are all residence-related questions that can affect your finances that you could ask. And then in the realm of student employment, you know, what types of jobs are on campus? Um, If you don't qualify for work-study, there are a lot of non-work-study jobs. And how early do you have to apply for them? Do they have something on their website? So the student employment office could be another area that could affect you financially. Uh, Career services, obviously you're going to college to hopefully at some point, you know, have a career. So what kind of companies are recruiting on campus? Uh, What kind of career planning does their services offer? And when does it start? You know, are they starting freshman year with helping you build your resume and finding internships and things like that? 
And then I'd say the, the other, our last uh, area that could help you is your individual major. Um, there are departmental scholarships. I found this with my own children that, you know, if you don't get a scholarship coming in the door as a freshman from the admissions office, you might be able to find one in, you know, your later years, sophomore, junior, senior year within your department um, based on your major. So what's available there? And then also what internships and study abroad opportunities are available within your major, and that could affect your finances as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. What about the student tour guide? What might they know about financial aid? <laughs> I always find it, I've gone, been on many uh, campus tours with my own children, and uh, it's, it's funny what some students say and don't say, and I think some colleges would cringe if they knew what some of their tour guides were saying sometimes. But um, I think it's important to ask them questions relevant to their experience as a student there. You know, they might not know the specific data points that we mentioned in the previous offices, but um, they, they would get a feel for, do many students work on campus? Was it easy for them to find a job? What about transportation? Do they need a car on campus? Do they um, have a, a pass for the bus or the subway? You know, how often do you go off campus? And what do you do in your spare time? And what does that entail cost-wise. You know, is Greek life very expensive? Oftentimes, fraternities and sororities, the fees are quite high uh, to to join those. And then does the college offer a lot of free or low-cost events, like sporting events or concerts, yoga classes, Zumba, comedians, you know, whatever. Um, I know some of the big sporting um, campuses um, might have season tickets for, say, the basketball or football game, but they're not free. They can often, you know, really be expensive. And that might be a reason why you were looking at that school because you wanted to go to those football games every weekend, but it's going to cost you. So so the student should be able to answer those kind of student life questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Lori. Oh, you're welcome. I was happy to be here. Okay. Now we're going to be taking a short break, but when we return, we'll be talking with Zaragoza Guerra of College Coach. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You 
You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we'll now be talking to Zaragoza Guerra, a colleague of mine and former admission officer at Caltech and MIT, which I keep talking about Zaragoza because it does seem very relevant to our discussion today of computer science majors. So thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Sally. Glad to be here. All right. So I think that most study, most students think that studying computer science or computers means one thing. And in fact, it's much more complicated. There are a lot of different ways to study sort of computers, computer science, etc. So I was hoping that we could start, you could explain some of the different ways students can study computers and computer science. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting when you're looking at the term computer science and, and where it comes from. You know, oftentimes... There are a lot of students who, you know, are thinking, hey, I love working with computers. I I love programming. Um, And so immediately, you know, computer science um, comes to mind. And and they're struggling whether, you know, what's the difference between, let's say, computer science or software engineering or some of the other terms that, you know, they oftentimes come across, um, you know, anything that's related to, to, to computers. And, you know, I oftentimes, you know, try to, get them to think about whether or not uh, they'd like to take more of a theoretical approach or a more applied approach. And, you know, if, if they're aiming for something a little bit uh, more theoretical, so to speak, you know, it might be that they're interested in computer science. If they're looking for something a little bit more applied, they could be interested in something like engineering. You know, there are a lot of ways to, to, to look at the differences uh, between the two, but one way to, to think about it is, um, you know, just the, the nomenclature. You know, if you're thinking about computer science, it's got the word science in there. If you're thinking about software engineering, it's got the, the term engineering uh, in there. And I think, you know, scientists, you know, tend to tend to think a little bit more theoretically. And, and they're oftentimes trying to uh, think scientifically and push the envelope with respect to research and, and developing things. Um, you know, trying to push the boundaries of their particular field, whereas uh, engineering, you know, tend to be problem solvers and they tend to uh, solve things. So when you're thinking about computer science and, you know, looking at how you can develop a particular field, um, that's one way to look at it. And, and if you're looking at uh, software engineering, you can you can look at it in terms of, uh, developing the field that has been developed and, and programming and so forth. And I think, you know, students who've got an interest in computers and, and they love uh, programming, they're probably going to find a lot of that in both disciplines um, because if you are a computer scientist, you are going to have to uh, head to that computer um, and you are going to have to learn a, a bit of programming as well. Um, but it just depends on, you know, your area of focus, um, I, I would say, um, so that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is uh, the term computer <laughs> when you're looking at uh, computer science. And oftentimes I think that that term came up uh, probably more to define computing 
and uh, computing data more so than an actual physical computer. Um, so that's another way to, to, to approach it and, and think about whether uh, you, you've got more a more of a, a, a data um, focus or you've got more of a programming focus, I would say. Mm-hmm. So I think um, like a, a maybe an easy way too for students to think about this is that something like software engineering where you're working on systems that have already been set up, that's going to feel more applied almost. And then computer science is more theoretical, you know, like what can be, what is possible? What's possible within that field? Um, Exactly. And, and whereas, uh, you know, if you're looking at, at engineering, you're, you're developing that field um, in terms of of putting it into practice, what, what has been thought of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so what's, um, I mean, I guess we're sort of touching on this already, but what kind of student, I mean, is there a way to define what kind of student might like which kind of computing uh, beyond what we've already talked about? You know, I would probably say, you know, those students who, um, you know, have a bent for, for, for programming, um, who like creating things, who like um, problem solving might might have uh, more of a bent for for engineering. Those who uh, you know probably have a propensity for uh, not just uh, uh, programming, but also a few other subjects like math and and who also uh, like a, a lot of other topics and like dealing with data and 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 just um, uh, that kind of research um, and and pushing the boundaries of 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 what exists. Um, and, and like to think about that, they might be a little bit more uh, inclined perhaps towards computer science. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that gives students, I think, a place to start and kind of think about it. So how would a student know if a college program is right for them? You know, I oftentimes have students take a look at the course catalog um, because it's going to define the classes that are available within a particular program. And, you know, when, when you're looking at those classes, you know, give them gut reaction ratings for it. Is this something that I really want to study? Um, because the programs are going to be very different and they are going to have, um, you know, each one is going to have its own particular focus. Um, so it's important to, to really do rummage through those, those courses and, and see what's available rather than necessarily just simply rely upon the reputation of the program or what you hear other uh, people say about the particular program in general. Um, definitely take a look at the set of classes because if if you're not necessarily studying what you've got uh, a desire to study, um, then you might not necessarily be so successful within the program. Um, and uh, so it's important to, to definitely take a look at, at those classes, see those course definitions, and, and get a feel for uh, whether or not uh, that's a, a program that would be a, a, a good fit for you. Um, I would also um, say that a student is going to want to take a look at where the program is housed. Um, you know, some computer science programs are going to be housed within a school of arts and sciences. Um, some programs might be housed within a school of engineering. Uh, it will really vary by school. And, and some schools, it's going to be housed in both um, uh, departments. So, you know, if you're if you're aiming for a degree, uh, a bachelor of arts degree, 
um, versus a Bachelor of Science degree. Um, those, the coursework that you're taking and the major that you're taking is going to be complemented probably by many more humanities-oriented classes. Okay. If you're aiming for the Bachelor of Science degree, that's probably going to be complemented by a lot of other math and science classes. Okay, so um, get a feel for you, what it is that you'd like to study. If you'd like to go a little bit more broad um, with respect to the humanities and social sciences, then maybe a Bachelor of Arts degree um, could fit your needs. If it's more math and science um, that you're oriented to, then it would probably be a Bachelor of Science. So figure mm -hmm. out where those, um, you know, what kind of degree you're going to get and, and where that program is going to be housed as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I like to, I really want to stress this, that, that you do have access to the course catalog. It is all online. And I, I get it that people don't think of this, because back in the olden days when things were on paper, I remember when I worked in college admissions, we would send catalogs, course catalogs to the students once they basically had indicated they were going to enroll. So the matriculating mm -hmm. students got the catalog, but nobody else knew, like, could look up the specifics of it. That's how long I've been doing this, that that, that was the case. Um, but these days, yeah, everything is online. Go I, ahead. Yep, it's, it's all online. I remember getting a course catalog even before I enrolled, and this was back in the... <laughs> <laughs> back in the dark ages, right, Sally? And... Um, you know, that's how I, you know, got to figure out what schools I wanted to enroll at. You know, I, I dive into that and I take a look at the different majors and say, oh, my goodness, this is what I want to do or that's what I want to do. Um, it was all by taking a look at the courses I was going to take and what excited me most. Um, and that's how I, you know, ended up deciding upon my particular major was, you know, seeing is this the set of classes that I'm going to thrive in, the set of classes that I'm so curious uh, to explore um, if it is, that's what I want to do. Um, that's mm -hmm. how I ended up, I know, deciding to apply my major. And that's how I encourage a lot of my students uh, to approach the process is see what set of classes just really excite you. What, what set of classes interest you more? Um, and if it happens to be, if those set of house, uh, classes happen to be housed in one particular major um, uh, versus another, then, you know, that, that's telling you something uh, in terms mm -hmm. of uh, the major that you might want to pursue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and read broadly. Don't make assumptions. Most of the students I talk to, understandably, are making assumptions based on conversations with their peers. But you can have the cold, hard data of, you know, this is how the faculty member who's teaching the class basically is conceptualizing the class or the department is conceptualizing the class. So, yeah, strongly recommend this. And then... Um, I yeah, mean, absolutely, because... You know, here's the thing. Um, someone is going to teach what they want to teach in terms of their interests. Granted, you know, there are going to be some boundaries and, and some parameters as to what they're going to be teaching. But, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, the research is going to dictate what they're going <laughs> to teach or the, their particular interests are going to dictate what they, they want to teach as well. So all of that gets explored within that course catalog. You know, they're putting it out there. So uh, definitely take a look at that because that's going to um, tell you what, what you would be learning and whether or not you're going to be excited uh, to learn that particular topic or not. Mm -hmm. So computer science programs are sometimes, in, I mean, these days it's becoming more and more common, I think, the most selective majors at a particular college or university. So what are colleges looking for in particular when they evaluate a student for admission? 
Great question. I would say, you know, you're looking for a lot of things. One is you want to make sure that the student is approaching the broad set of courses that they should be approaching to begin with. So it's not as if um, you are going to be uh, taking computer science classes and, and programming classes to the exclusion of everything else that a college or university is going to be expecting. Um, no, you're, you're going to have to take a, that, that broad range of classes. Um, for instance, you know, when I was working at, at MIT and Caltech, we had a core curriculum that every student had to take. So um, we wanted to make sure that students were prepared for that core curriculum. So we were looking to make sure that students were taking biology, chemistry, physics, that they were taking uh, math through calculus and, and perhaps beyond, um, and that they were also approaching their humanities and social sciences classes, too. So you need that broad preparation. Um, that being said... Uh, you also might want to explore computer science and programming. And I've seen students explore it in a variety of different ways, oftentimes, you know, maybe in ninth grade, maybe in 10th grade, or, or maybe even earlier, they're taking some programming classes. Um, sometimes it's not necessarily official coursework. Sometimes they're learning programming on the programming languages on their own. Um, it could be that they're, you know, exploring a few MOOCs, um, which offer free classes to the general public and exploring those languages. Um, and, and they might Zaragoza, be, I'm just quickly, let's yeah. define what a MOOC is, because not everybody's going to know. Sure. It's an online course um, offered by a number of universities. There's um, uh, several consortiums. One is called edX. The other is Coursera. And it's a grouping of classes um, taught by uh, universities throughout the country. You know, so uh, an MIT would put out its classes a Stanford would put out its classes, a University of Michigan would put out its classes on the web, um, and uh, students can uh, take advantage of that coursework. Uh, they can uh, take those classes, listen to those lectures, do a lot of the coursework. They might not necessarily get a grade for that, um, but they can consume the material that's being taught at these top-notch universities throughout the country. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for someone who wants to, you know, take a, a class in computer science or hear what's being explored on these college campuses with respect to some of the research that's being done or, or how they're teaching, of course, to, to consume that material as if they were a student at that college campus. Except it's done from the comfort of their home and they don't necessarily have to uh, get a grade uh, for the work. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can definitely intellectualize what's happening um, and, and definitely uh, get an appreciation for uh, exploring a particular topic um, mm -hmm. with, with a MOOC. So I, I've seen a lot of students um, take advantage of that, particularly with, with computer science. Um, and then they, they um, manifest their, their learning either by, you know, perhaps um, exploring that, uh, applying their learning with you know, programs that they create for the high school or for a community group, um, any way, shape they can. They're, they're really trying to manifest that, that learning in the things that they do. Um, and then you would also want to, you know, explore the classes that your high school offers. So, uh, you know, most high schools are going to offer a computer science class. They are going to be offering some of these programming languages. So if you can do it and get a grade for it to demonstrate to college or university that you, you have done it, uh, you have uh, gotten a grade, then, then by all means, please try to explore that. But you're not going to want to do it to the exclusion of those other courses that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to do it as a complement to those courses. Mm -hmm. 
All right. And so I um, I know that you already talked about it with the core courses, but I do just want to also stress to people how important math is. So I was wondering if you could address why math is so important for computer science. Because I talked to a lot of families where they're getting, the student is getting an A in computer science, but they're getting a B or a B minus or sometimes even a C in math. And so I say, you know, Mm -hmm. they really need to bring up their math grade to be competitive, even, you know, and we're not even talking about Stanford here, but just for like one of these sort of solid, but not hyper competitive computer science programs, they need to do better in math. And people sort of struggle to understand that. So I was hoping you could address that. Well, you know, computer science does have, uh, you know, a strong relationship uh, to math. Um, In fact, you know, some people might even consider computer science to be a mathematical science. Um, you know, it depends on on who you're talking to. Um, and, you know, it's going to require, uh, you know, strong background in algorithms and, and, uh, and data and so forth, mathematical logic. So um, it's important to uh, really do well in math uh, to demonstrate that uh, you're going to uh, be able to do well in computer science. It's not simply uh, programming. There's a lot of uh, math uh, behind this. So, uh, yes, they will be taking a look at uh, the courses that you take in math. Um, and, and they'll probably want to make sure that uh, you are uh, taking math to the nth degree, uh, whatever is possible within your high school. Oftentimes, it's going to be math through calculus. Um, if you have exhausted that curriculum earlier on in high school, then um, perhaps you might take on a higher-level math course um, senior year or junior year, um, you know, to, to, to keep up with that. Because when you do get to that college or university, as I said, they will um, expect it as part of one of their core requirements, and they will expect you to do upper-level math. Um, and so they want to make sure that you're prepared for that, um, not just because it's a part of the core, but because it's also a part of the discipline itself. Uh, as I said, yeah. you know, there's some people who, who would consider computer science to be a mathematical science. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Excellent. Now, we just have a couple minutes left, but um, because this comes up a lot, a lot of um, students really like playing Minecraft <laughs> or other video games. <laughs> so they're like, I want to do computer science. So I was hoping, I know it's not easy to do this briefly, but if you could kind of somewhat briefly address some of the differences between gaming and computer science and why it's not the same thing. Well, you know, they're not. Uh, here's how I look at it. Oftentimes, gaming might be a, a an introduction to computer science and an introduction to the world of computing. Um, and uh, and so, uh, you know, I definitely encourage it and would say, yeah, if you've got that that uh, feeling, uh, you know, definitely explore it a little bit more. But you know, other times it, it might be that you want to do gaming, okay, which would be a little bit. Um, different, you know, computer science, as I said, um, has to do a little bit more with data um, and 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 crunching that data, uh, almost like a data science. Um, and uh, you know, gaming probably has a lot more to do with with programming. Okay, so you're applying something, um, so it probably has a little bit more to do, maybe with the engineering side and the programming side. Um, it's a little bit more applied um, rather than, let's say, scientific. I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That is very helpful. And I'll, I'll, uh, it's good to know that there's more overlap than I realized. So um, <laughs> thanks so much, Zaragoza. You're welcome. My pleasure, Sally.
Okay. All right. So we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll be talking to Sarah Calvert-Kubram about questions to ask on college tours. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. And hello to Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Sally. Thank you for having me. All right. So, um... I'm pretty excited about this because I think people are not sure what kinds of questions to ask on a campus tour. I think a lot of people sort of think that, um, you know, they should just go and sort of passively follow people around. But ideally, you are Mm -hmm. going to engage. So, um, oh, but actually quickly, before I get started on that, I did want to, again, address the coronavirus. I think that we don't want to pretend that we're not aware that this is really um, this is really creating some issues. But again, I just wanted to cover this topic because, A, it appears that some colleges are still having tours. And I do think this show will be really useful to people when the worst of the crisis is over. So sorry about that break in, Sarah. So so um, go ahead. Like, let's let's um, kind of talk about. Let's talk about the importance of campus visits if you can do it and the kinds of questions that you can ask tour guides. Definitely. You know, and I I love this topic because I used to help manage all of the tour guides at a um, small liberal arts college at Lewis and Clark in Portland, Oregon. And so I did a lot of the training of the tour guides as well as interacting with families about their experiences. So I I love this topic. Um, You know, ideally, if a family has the time flexibility, the resources, et cetera, it's great to do campus visits to really allow the student to picture themselves on that college campus. Um, You can do as much online research, et cetera, as possible, but that doesn't replace that less quantifiable gut reaction of, is this my place? 
when I think about a 17-year-old picking a college to go to, you know, four years on a college campus is such a large percentage of their adolescent, young adult lived experience. So you want to feel feel at home. You want to feel like, yeah, these are my people. This is my place. And a college tour is such a great way to do that. A um, couple of things before we talk about what to ask. I do strongly recommend, if possible, and hey, I'm a working parent. I understand this isn't always possible, but... Uh, if possible, go to colleges when school is in session. So during the school year, um, try to see when their spring break, winter breaks are. Um, of course, there's still value of going other times of the year, but colleges can feel kind of sleepy um, in the summer over winter break or spring break. So it's nice to go on a tour when students are walking around to class to get to kind of see it in action. Um, you know, when you're on the tour... The tour guide is a current student, so this is a fantastic opportunity to ask questions about that student experience. Um, Of course, just like any human being, a tour guide is one person. They can't speak to everyone's experiences, but they usually have pretty good training about core programming and events that are on campus. They also are people who love talking and are usually pretty comfortable answering questions. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed up for this this role. Um, So ask them questions about what it's like to be a student there. Um, It's also totally fine to ask perhaps somewhat difficult questions like, what would they change about the school if they could? Um, Maybe ask why they chose that college, some of the decision-making process about that. One thing, though, I I do recommend, and this might sound silly, but I've seen it come up so many darn times, is to respect boundaries of not asking questions about that student's personal life, Um, questions about, you know, really getting into their their social habits, their life, etc., because it's a group setting. So feeling confident and comfortable to ask questions, to be engaged, but also not putting them on the spot in front of a group of people to ask them about, oh, you know, do you party on weekends or things about that? Because, of course, there's some lines there, and I've seen that come up a lot. Um, Is that a helpful start, Sally? Yeah, I think that's great. And I like... um you know, I, I like the thing of like, don't ask that student if they party. You could ask about a typical mm-hmm. student without asking that student. Yeah. And then I do want to kind of talk about, yeah, like how do you ask questions? I mean, I'll, I'll use an example from the University of Chicago where um, Chicago mm-hmm. is actually in Hyde Park, which is a wonderful neighborhood, um, but it is surrounded by some neighborhoods that are socioeconomically more impoverished. Um, in some cases, not you know, have some higher rates of crime, although not as much as people seem to think, and that tends to be much mm-hmm. more localized. But I would have students who, I mean, they did this to me, and I know they did this to the tour guide, who would say, well, you guys are in the ghetto, so what's, you know, what's that mm-hmm. like? And that's such a rude way to ask a question. There's, there's so many things wrong with it that I don't have time to get into. Mm-hmm. Whereas by contrast, mm-hmm. if a student had simply said, um, could you address safety issues? How safe is it to be on campus? Yeah. That's a completely legitimate question that frankly you should be asking Definitely. in every setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I actually saw questions like that when I worked at Northeastern University a lot just because of where they are in the city as well. And I think, like you said, you could ask more broadly, you know, what is the college or university's approach to keeping students safe? What is your experience like walking around the city, et cetera? So that's a great point. I, I also think it's appropriate 
in a thoughtful way to ask questions about generous general campus culture. So, for example, a big one on a lot of students' minds nationally right now is, what is this college doing about diversity? Um, what is it like, um, you know, what programming is available on campus for students of color, for people of different backgrounds, international communities, etc.? Um, student tour guides can often speak a lot to the general, you know, vibe and culture on campus, events traditions, the approach to different topics that might seem like difficult conversations, but if you approach them in the right way, you can open up the door to some really rich, beautiful conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually, I was a tour guide, as many of us were, Um, like a Mm -hmm. lot of being a tour guide is sort of a direct line into becoming an admission officer in many cases. It's kind Mm -hmm. of the bottom of the pyramid of where you often start your career. And I loved it when people ask me direct questions, as long as they were respectfully phrased. Um, Mm -hmm, I thought it mm -hmm. was really helpful because I wanted to, I think a lot of colleges and certainly Reed College where I went was like this. Chicago was like this. You know, we wanted people to ask direct questions. It might not have been part of the sort of general tour guide, you know, um, kind of script, if you will, or talking points, Uh I should say, because we didn't give a script. But when people asked a direct question, we were encouraged to answer it in a very sort of sincere, um, you know, and balanced way. So I imagine that was your experience, Mm -hmm. too. Oh, definitely, definitely. And quite often when families ask me really nitty-gritty questions about a specific school, I say, hey, ask them, because oftentimes colleges really want to be appropriately open and transparent with students because it's not only will my student or be admitted to that college, but if they are, do they want to go there? You're kind of scoping each other out, right? And they want students to genuinely have an assessment of, is this my place? Does this institution fit me? And the tour is one of the best ways to kind of figure that out. Um, one thing I would say, though, in thinking about this is, in general, if you sign up to go on a campus tour, you'll also have the opportunity to sign up for an information session, which is usually run by an admissions officer versus a student um, tour guide. So one thing to keep in mind is that the tour is more to learn about the campus, the programming, the experience, et cetera, and it's best to say the nitty-gritty admission and admission process and criteria questions for the admission officer so that you're thinking about the tour guide as a precious opportunity to talk to a current student and saving the logistical qualifications, et cetera, questions for the admission officer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is a good reason to go to not just the official campus tour, but an official information session. I actually, yeah, Mm -hmm. always really encourage students to do both um, without Mm -hmm. a doubt um, for that exact reason, too. And you never know. You may actually end up with the admission officer who will be one of the people reading your student's application. Regardless, it's a great relationship building, and you get to hear some different official information from the student perspective. So they, I think, both have some concrete value. Mm-hmm. So are there are there any other um, options for what people can do on a campus visit to sort of to learn more mm-hmm. about the school? Yeah, so that really depends on the college. Um, the, the best thing to do is first to go to the Office of Admission website. Um, 
pretty much every school that I can think of does all online registration now. Of course, you can call, but starting with the website, there's usually a button to say, visit campus, and then you can look at all the options. Um, it really depends on the college. A lot of smaller liberal arts colleges have the capacity to allow students of a certain age to maybe shadow or visit a class, to go to lunch with current students. Um, sometimes colleges will have great opportunities where you can request if you are a student with a learning difference or disability to work with a staff member in the office that provides accommodations. You can ask for special opportunities like maybe, you know, sitting down with a faculty member. If your student's an athlete, reach out to the athletics department to talk to the coach while they're on campus. Um, some colleges also allow the opportunity to spend the night in the residence halls of the student. But again, you have to see for each school what they offer. Um, some colleges for rising seniors or seniors in high school also offer interviews. But, you know, with some of the schools that we talked about, Lewis and Clark, which I worked at, which is a smaller liberal arts college, um, most certainly has pretty much all of those things I just mentioned. Um, Northeastern University, where I worked, received such a tremendous volume of applications that for the most part, they cannot offer interviews. Um, and the capacity of what they can actually facilitate in a campus visit is different just because of the sheer volume of visitors that go to the campus. So you have to do a little bit of research of what is available. Um, also, it's always best to register in advance as soon as you know your dates because, for instance, at a lot of small liberal arts colleges, even if they offer campus visits, it is registration on a first-come, first-served basis because let's say the average classroom size has 20 students, they most certainly don't want 10 visitors in that classroom because they wouldn't be experiencing a normal, organic classroom discussion. So if you want some of those tailored visit opportunities, definitely register in advance. Um, call and ask you if you have questions, but also know that a lot of times there are different opportunities available based on the student's age. So for 10th graders, it, it could very well just be a tour and information session, whereas, you know, for later 11th and 12th graders, there might be deeper opportunities such as class visits, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you know, I, I do want to reiterate, we actually have to wrap it up now because we're running out of time, but um, I do want to reiterate that every college is different. You know, University of Chicago, we mm -hmm. didn't give tours of dormitories, for example, and mm -hmm. I think some of that probably was because, um, you know, historically, although when I was there, Hyde Park was very safe, there had been some security concerns in previous decades. So, you know, so just mm -hmm. every school is going to be different. Um, so, mm -hmm. all right, Sarah, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, and have a great rest of your day. All right, so th thanks so much to Sarah calvert Kubram and all my guests today. Um, get ready for our show March 26th when Ian and his guests will be discussing SAT subject tests, uh, what what to do now that you've received your admission decisions, and how to compare financial aid offers. So we've got some good stuff coming up as well. And finally, do remember that our archives are also very rich 
sources of information. Uh, we have topics that include how to tell if you really are competitive for an Ivy League or a similarly selective college. Uh, also, where we discuss the Varsity Blues scandal, and in addition, more quotidian topics like how to write essays to various college, how to write essays for various colleges. And last, remember, if you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog page to find the date. As we also include a summary of each show there, and that URL is blog.getintocollege.com. That's blog.getintocollege.com. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.